Hi guys, this is Sarah. And this is Katrina Joe, and we're the Feds. FedWork is the modern day background check. And Fed is our acronym for Feed Empowerment Daily. And you're now listening to FedWork. Welcome back, guys. We are back with another episode, and we have a very special guest today, DJ VIP. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. You just rushed home right now. You got back just in time to hang out with us. How's your night been? Oh, it's been great. You know, LA traffic is nothing nice, but we're here. So. <laughs> did you make- drive out or did you have it on autopilot? Man, I, I, I let it drive. I had the baby in the car okay. and there's a few construction zones. So I, I, I took control. That's why you didn't get a text back is because my wife was on my head about stay off your phone. <laughs> Fair enough. So you just said your car was driving for you. So I'm assuming you have a Tesla. Yes. Okay. All right. Helping out the environment. We like it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm hearing some bad things about the lithium ion uh, process. I heard that's not so great. I didn't know about that when I bought it. Uh Oh, I, I did hear a little bit about like the charging station. That's the only thing that I, I heard about, but I'm not too sure. So recently I did a little off topic. I just about the charging yeah. stations. I, um, I just found out that the RF levels at charging stations are insane. To, and I used to like sleep in my car, work in my car, take calls yeah. in my car, just kind of like kill time in my car. Now well, I will not be anywhere remotely near the charging station when I charge my car. That is good to know. Wow. Yeah, I have I I have friends that like literally on their stories, they will film like charging my car, watching Netflix, like hanging right. out. So that is very interesting and, and good to know. Yeah, not good to be chilling. It's literally like uh, there's RF meters and they're literally just maxed out going crazy when you're by the chargers. Oh my, both of us. I know we're both literally have mouth open. Like I had no idea. Yeah, you'll go down a rabbit hole with that one. Watch. Some people have them like in their garage. So then that's like affecting their home. I I don't think the ones at the house are the, they're called like destination chargers. The superchargers are the ones that are like, 250 kilowatts like they have those big power almost like a substation next right. to them and those are the ones that i'm sure the at-homes have some residual rf give off but i don't think it's nearly as much as the superchargers Ooh. I just well something new today i was gonna say i i didn't know i was gonna <laughs> walk away with that knowledge but i did right so you just came on dropped some bars for us taught us something new so let's go back just a little bit to kick things off Yes. So for those of um, our listeners and viewers that are watching and listening right now, um, can you tell us about yourself and how did you get into DJing? Yeah, so um, my DJ career started kind of accidentally, I guess. It was kind of like my one of my buddies had a uh, pro sound and stage lighting magazine in math class, seventh grade. And uh, I just was like, oh, you can manipulate music with like, you know, physically, but like, it just captivated me and I didn't have any musical talents. I didn't play any instruments. So I'm like, let me, let me see what this is about. So eventually I reached out to a radio station back home while 94.9 KYLD San Francisco. And I just called kind of like a kid, like, like assuming they have an equipment room almost like y'all got an old equipment room with some equipment that I could like tap in with. Like I want to get started. And the host at the time told me like, we don't have anything here, but I have something personal I can give you. So she gave me my first pair of turntables that were some Gemini belt driven turntables. They were like the most rudimentary basic turntables you could have. If you try to scratch, the platter would stop. Um, but it was enough to kickstart my uh, 
you know, my, my hobby at the time and now my career. And yeah. uh, it, my parents bought me my first like official set for my eighth grade promotion. And I was pretty much off to the races at that point. Wow. So you just like found the love of music just from really just kind of playing around and just yeah, being I mean, curious about, about the art of it. Yeah, as a child, I went to a lot of shows like fairs and um, like concerts and stuff, especially stuff with live bands. So I think that's why I've always resonated towards shows that have like live musical instrumentation um, and just like the dynamics and like seeing things, how they're kind of moving and the flow stuff has always intrigued me. So that that was a part of it at a young age and then actually being able to like bring that with the turntables and seeing that, it just, it all came together kind of seamlessly almost. So when was the first time that you actually like performed as a DJ for a paid gig? Like when was it official? So, I mean, it wasn't, to answer your question directly, the first paid <laughs> gig I got was probably my eighth grade summer. I DJed for a friend's like graduation party or something. It wasn't nothing major. Like it it's was- yeah, it was like a hundred bucks, you know, it was maybe like 30, 40 people. It was a small little like party kickback. I was DJing off of that initial equipment set that I got, plus some little um, I forgot the brand, but like some computer speakers essentially. And um oh, eighth grade though. That was the setup at the time. Uh my and first time I ever DJed outside of like my room or whatever was during the eighth grade, there was a school event. And I went up to the DJ, his name was DJ High Top. And I kind of was like talking to him and like, oh yeah, I want to be a DJ. And like, you know, I'm, I'm getting my equipment together. And then he let me use his equipment and try it. So that was like one of my first times DJing was at my school in front of my peers, you know? So that was, uh, that was crazy, but also very nerve wracking, you know, just in the eighth grade, everyone's all judgmental and, you know, just trying to like be cool and stuff. Yeah. and. I was always more so like into sports. I wasn't like the the B-boy or like I wasn't into like the cool stuff. I wasn't into fashion. Like I just, if it were up to me, I'd be in my sweats and have my little gym bag. And like, that was my my swag all the time. So I had to like figure out how to navigate the music and the DJ space that I wasn't used to. That's crazy. Eighth grade. What city were you in at the time? Uh, Union City. I was going to the school. I knew called- it. <laughs> Uh, so, Bernard White Middle School. And, so you, uh, you know, you're on your page that says you did um, VIP 510. I'm from 510. I'm from Fremont. Okay. Yes. And go. so, yeah. So Sarah earlier was like, what cities are in 510? I'm like, Union City, Hayward, like, you know, naming other cities. And yeah. I love that. Yeah. And it just went in my head because I don't know any of those places except for <laughs> people saying them. I was but, born um, What school did you go to in eighth grade? I went to Bernard White. So Bernard White is now, I think they shut it down low key. It's like maybe a continuation school or something, but uh, it was one of three middle schools in our district. And then as you know, we have a high school, James Logan. It's yeah. up with like 4,000, 4,500 people. I had a graduating class of a thousand. So it was a very, very everybody big school. Wanted, everybody wanted to go to Logan, Sarah. Yeah. Just, to, just to those that are listening. Like they had all of the best like lunch spots. You guys, I think had a Taco Bell on campus. Excuse yeah. me? Yes. Like yeah. the, all the people Taco were, like, on campus? To be fair, it wasn't there when I went there. They got rid of it a few years okay. before, but they okay. did have like a bunch of like franchise stuff on campus. I was like, what's going on? 
But their high school was the size. Their high school was like the size of a college, pretty like a junior college. Okay, because yeah, sure. the most we had in our cafeteria were walking tacos, which was a bag of Doritos that they put the meat in and some cheese and you left with it. Like that was what we had. So you, y'all had a whole Taco Bell. I needed to move to 510. Well, you know what was messed <laughs> up is before I went, it was, they had a ton of stuff on campus and it was a closed campus, but then they got rid of everything and they got really, really strict with security. So mm. my grandma and grandpa lived 30 seconds away, driving seconds. So my grandma, being the saint that she was, she would go get me my McDonald's, my In-N-Out, because In-N-Out just popped up in our city, like right around that time. Yeah. Like they were, I would just be able to run that play, but uh, the the school lunches weren't it when I was going to Logan. (laughs) I went to American. My grandpa went to American. That's crazy. Uh, Amazing. Okay. Whole world. I went to Churchill. (laughs) What city? Not in the 510. It's in Livonia in the 734. Um, no one calls it that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so that's my exciting. It's a little different than 510, a little, little different. A little different. So earlier you touched on um, when you were in eighth grade that one of your first DJ gigs outside of your room, like someone was helping you, kind of showing you the ropes, and you were like, yo, I just want to be a DJ. Mm-hmm. Who would you say? throughout your DJ career, um, who's been the most influential in your career? So there's two fronts, right? For me as a DJ, there's like the creative front and then like the business front. So on the creative side, I would definitely say that Jay Espinoza, he's a Bay Area DJ. He's won like the Red Bull Freestyle. I used to go to this record store in Fremont called Straight Hits Vinyl Shop. And I used to go and like thumb through my records and he would be one of like the store attendants or whatever. And they had a system there with like a full mixer and turntables so that if you wanted to like get down, you could do that. And usually the people working there were doing that. And he was just always going crazy. And this is before he won any world championships. This is before he was even on air. And then, you know, I watched him grow and like him really dive into not only uh doing like remixes and mashups but he started producing compilations um these things called in and out breaks and like he was just doing a lot of stuff that other djs weren't doing creatively and he was touching the business side of it but as you know the bay is like has its ceilings when it comes to the music business um and uh the uh, the person that influenced me on the business side would be ski just because of what he's built up and like, you know, his ability to network with artists and build a brand as a DJ when a lot of DJs are relatively underserved, underrepresented and underappreciated. Absolutely. Yeah. He had a whole network. That's dope. And it's really clutch too, to always have, you know, like mentors or people that kind of like look out for you in your career, like as you're progressing, you know? Yeah, for sure. They're going to help you avoid those those roadblocks and stuff that they've already went through, or they'll at least teach you how to navigate them in a more efficient manner. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of gears into the next thing I kind of wanted to talk about sticking with DJing, but also touching on your entrepreneurship endeavors. So mm-hmm. Katrina has something that she kind of found a, a hole in the market, if you will. Um, and she helps people with building pitch decks um, mm-hmm. to like, Thing for their for their businesses and so I was explaining to her that you also have a side business where you make DJ packs and mm-hmm. we wanted to kind of talk about that because a lot of people don't know about that and they don't know yeah. how DJs actually like get music out so I wanted to kind of see if you would share 
how that got started with you. Yeah, I mean, it originally started as just like a personal necessity, being in the Bay Area and wanting to break new music. And there was so much going on around like 03, 04, 05. I was in high school and I was always someone that was like trying to reach out and network, you know, whether it was with uh, the radio station or with artists. Um, when I was in elementary school, I called a TV station and they came in and did like a segment on us and stuff. So like I've always been able to like kind of leverage resources and um, find little like little holes, you know. So as a DJ uh, and things are progressing towards fully digital, a lot of these songs, especially of the regional records, aren't available uh, in record pools or they're not being sent out by the A&Rs, by the, the management or by whoever's doing the promotions of the record. So me not wanting to just fall in line with whatever's available to everyone, I had to learn what made these so special and what were the elements of this so that it works seamlessly within the DJ software, because that's essentially the tool. The DJ pack is the tool that the artist would provide the DJ to work seamlessly in Serato. It has all the cue points, the, the different uh, versions of the song. It's all, it's all just, made specifically Alert for Serato. Battery. Sorry. It's all specifically <laughs> made for Serato. And uh, it just makes it effortless for the DJ to spin it. When you give a DJ a record and it maybe has a synth intro or it just doesn't have a standard like drum, kick, uh, snare intro that has like a constant cadence, it's hard to blend it together. Mm -hmm. um, and then the DJ pack would also have like most hip hop songs have an eight bar hooker verse. And what it does is it sets up that lead in of instrumental so you can blend it. And then as one song rolls out, you would go into the next one. Um, so the DJ pack just came out of necessity for needing to be able to play certain songs and not having them in the way that I needed them. That later turned into seeing that there was a need in the market where artists weren't providing DJs this asset. So now when they provide DJs this asset, they literally tell me that they're response to the records after they give them to the dj is is night and day like when they present with that asset and how it's curated and how it's presented it's literally the exact same way the labels are sending out for their a-list artists so like a brand new artist would be able to get a song played easier by a dj than someone who maybe is a little more established but doesn't have a and r actually working for them a hundred percent i see songs yeah. all the time that you know they they could be playlisting, but you go look for the, the DJ pack and it's not available. And at some point that song is going to have a ceiling if DJs can't support it. Yeah. You're never going to hear it in the club. Yeah. And I'm sure that helps as well with live performances, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're, you're setting yourself up to have all those assets. So whatever avenue you're in, whether you want to submit for, uh, for syncs and you need those certain wave stems, you have those available. Um, you know, if you're doing a performance in an arena and they want the waves, they don't want to pump the MP3s, you have those. And then you have the full MP3 slate for the DJs and the record pools. So you can't really miss a mark. You embed that into a press kit, an EPK, and, and now you pretty much have everything you need to present all the assets and deliver it, you know, fully packaged. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I was asking Sarah earlier as well. Like, I didn't know what a DJ pack um, was initially, but now that you kind of like walked us through it, I literally remember an event that I, um, produced and hosted a couple years ago for a very established artist. And it was an album release party. 
And obviously artists like to hear their music a certain way. They want, mm -hmm. you know, it's live, they want it to be a certain way. Um, and it wasn't playing through the speakers the way that, you know, they felt it in the studio, mm -hmm. the way that that's supposed to sound, that there was a moment where they literally had to go to the DJ booth and adjust different things and, and mm -hmm. sound levels and all of that. And we had to like restart, you know, the album or whatnot, because the DJ pack, you know, was to what you're saying, wasn't available. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's support in Serato for, um, for streaming with Tidal and a few other uh, streaming services. But the only problem that poses is all, first of all, all streaming is going to be uh, like down converted, right? It's never going to mm -hmm. be like full resolution. Right. Um, that's the first issue. Secondly, you can't rely on your hotspot working if you're in a downtown area. You can't rely on public Wi-Fi. So you want to make sure that you have those actual files on you because if you don't, it's kind of like a dice shoot. If, if it's going to play, if it's going to play right, it might start buffering mid-song, God forbid. So right. um, that's why it's always better just to have those assets because then a DJ knows that they're going to have a foolproof way to support the music. You don't want to put them in a position where they're trying to support your music, but your music's sounding bad or it's making their set not be what it should be because you're not providing them the proper assets. Yeah. Okay. I have a question. It's going to date me a little bit. Okay. Um, but in the club, like, you know, when people would be like, I want my song played, bring this USB of mm -hmm. my music to the DJ and have them mm -hmm. play it. They're like, well, we have to download it now. It's this whole thing. With the packs, are they able to like airdrop it? Like, can yeah. can something like that happen in that kind of a setting to kind of speed up the process? A hundred percent. I always tell artists to either, honestly, the USB is going to be probably the most reliable. But, yeah. um, but you're handing I, it to someone; they're carrying it around. It's kind of a headache to pass around for sure. But just for the fact of like technology failing, you know, you I always have a backup. I always tell people put it on a um iCloud or something so you can airdrop it put it on a Dropbox and keep it on a flash drive when you go around um to further talk about dating you um I'm sure you've both <laughs> been to uh, not you but us I should I say so <laughs> we're around the same age don't try me <laughs> yeah I know so you know remember back in the day you'd go to record stores right and yeah. I don't know if you remember this but back in the day they used to have these things called white labels and they would be sitting at the front of the record store and it would literally just have the artist name and the song title it wouldn't have no marketing the sleeve wouldn't have any colored print black and white for dj use only um promote yeah. promotion yeah. use only for dj use only those yeah. were essentially hard copies of dj packs physical dj packs so djs would go to the record store and get these records which were promotional dj packs now everything is digital and DJs don't go to record stores. We go to record pools, but we don't get records. We get DJ packs. This is definitely. It's I all. Definitely, yeah. Like, make I definitely fun. remember seeing them not really knowing what they were or obviously buying them, but. I think I have one at home. I will look. I'm pretty no sure way. I have like an Eminem one or something, but like it just had his name. So I had to buy it. You might. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Sounds about right. Wow. Well, I think that's so cool that you, especially because you were in the industry, you found the need, you solved the need. Have you seen, you know, any kind of like growth or changes in, in what people are expecting out of these packs? Like, have you had to elaborate them or do anything differently? 
Yeah, I mean, more so it's it's more so just educate because a lot of the independent artists aren't aware of it because they're just not at that level. And the the bigger artists have A and Rs and people at the label that are taking up this in marketing and promotion. So that's it's just something that usually goes over the artist's head. But so many artists are trying to take a very independent route and do these things on their own. Um, and even if they're not, it creates it creates leveraging power when you go to the label because now they don't have this long list of things that they're going to say they could do for you. you could chop it down so you can maybe negotiate a better deal negotiate a joint venture instead of a 360 or something so it's really you know taking it in your own hands to do some of these things that they're doing and the artists that are doing are finding themselves not as motivated to sign because they're like I could find an investor that's the only difference at this point I can do almost the same things they're doing and I don't have to worry about them, you know, backdooring any uh, deals and, and overcharging the, the the budget and doing all that other funny stuff. I can totally be control of the finances and almost spearhead almost every type of promotion that the label is doing with some limitations with radio. But even then, things can be figured out. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And you've worked with a bunch of artists that are, you know, maybe starting out and then they blow up. So you mm -hmm. kind of see what they needed in the beginning and you're able to kind of help other new artists. Cause I know you work with a few new artists. And yeah, so, sure. yeah, so you, you're kind of able to take that experience and, and help them and, and, you know, maybe be that most influential person to them um, in, in their career. Yeah. I mean, one thing that, that to this day, I, I'm very proud that I took the time to do it early on was I was making service packs for every single one of Nipsey's releases, whether or not, we deemed it a single. We understood that that could be the difference between receiving support in a market that, you know, we weren't necessarily pushing a record in, but it was well received. So yeah. why limit what the record could do off of something as simple as not having a DJ pack available? So I even set up a domain, um, nipsyhustledjpacks.com, and it just forwards over to a Dropbox or like a box.net so that if we're ever on the go and we need to send the packs and we can't, just give them the website. They can go get it on their own. And now every asset that we have audibly is available to DJs to support. And after he passed away, we had a lot of songs that if we didn't have those certain things in place, I don't think they would have got as much radio play. They they sure would have for sure would have got streamed and they would have, you know, got um their certifications and all that stuff. But I don't think the radio play would have been there without those packs being available. And easily accessible, especially in that time when, you know, everything was kind of all over the place. They were able to have a one place to go and find what they needed. That was really smart. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's... why um, you even see if you go, you know, Twitter, you type in any words and if it was tweeted, it'll come up and you go type in like Nipsey Hustle DJ packs and you'll go see he was tweeting out the link all the time because he knew the value of it. Right. See, and people pay attention. These are the things that you need to know. Like, there's, one, there's a lot to know but this is definitely one of the things I'll say this I've never personally seen a song end up on any radio chart and not have a DJ pack available I can go look at the real 92.3 charts the power 106 the beat Miami you know power 105.1 I could go look at any chart and if a song is available in those charts I guarantee the pack is available I'm not saying that having a pack will make your record chart but I've never right. seen a record chart that didn't have a pack Right. Yeah. They like go together. It's one they, they're required basically. Exactly. Artists that just don't know these things, like you said, cause they don't have a team. They don't have the people giving them the knowledge. Mm -hmm. 
it's crazy. We'll be right back with more Fed work after a word from our sponsors. What do the realest conversations and the best nights out usually have in common? You guessed it, a bite of Mickey D's. Now just imagine a full car ordering in the Mickey D's drive-thru and someone asks, hey girl, what you want? <laughs> Isn't that just the right amount of chaos? Mickey D's is the affordable answer to taking the whole fam to dinner. Everyone's got their own Mickey D's moments. Go on and make more delicious memories. So kind of segueing into your other endeavors, um, you recently started Airbnb, which I think is so cool. Yes. He yes, has yes. a cabin in Big Bear. Yep. Big Bear. And oh. it's, it's a vibe. Like it has a hot tub. He craned. Hold on. Can you tell her what you did with the hot tub? Oh, I had to crane it over the cabin because um, the way the carport was and I have, so in Big Bear, if you have private fencing, that's like a luxury. A lot of people have like cyclone fencing or no fencing whatsoever, or like barnyard style fencing with just like posts or whatever. And we actually have like, you know, things up all the way around. I did not want to have to take apart my fencing, nor did I want to have to pull apart my carport. So we had to crane the hot tub over the cabin, which wasn't like the biggest undertaking because it's not like a three-story cabin. It's a single-story house. But um, it was just interesting to watch them like bring this huge 18-wheeler and then put down these massive plates for the for the legs. It literally took them longer to set up the crane than it did for them to hook up the hot tub lift it over the house and put it on the ground. They did They did that part in like less than five minutes. Oh, wow. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. I was like, you really want that hot tub there. But I yeah. Mean, it was the most uh, economically feasible way to do it, believe it or not. Cause I was probably looking at like a day or two of taking it, like taking it down, moving the stuff in manually and then having them rebuild it. And I just didn't want to do that. Cause I knew in my heart, that that wasn't going to get as built as sturdy as it was as it sat and i just was right. like when it came down to it it made more sense to just it was like 500 bucks throw it over the house that's cool wow I'm yeah, got on that one <laughs> but yeah so i just think it's so cool that you you got an airbnb it's also an escape so you got married you have a baby so yes. congratulations thank you thank you thank you your little twin yes so with that and balancing a DJ career, which is just like the craziest schedule and the craziest career, you have a business and a luxury of having this kind of escape. Mm -hmm. What else do you do to, to find the work-life balance? Because in your life, it's, it's gotta be crazy. Yeah. I mean, luckily a lot of, aside from obviously like gigs and th things of that nature, um, most of the work I can do on my own time, as long as I got my laptop my interface, my headphones, speakers, whatever, I can work wherever I'm at. So that's why I'll be snowboarding for three or four days. I look like I don't care about anything, but whatever I'm doing, but truthfully, I'm up every day at five or six o'clock answering emails, doing what I have to do to get ahead to do that with a free conscience, yeah. make sure all my projects are turned in that have already been paid on. And I just want to make sure that all my clients are happy and like, everyone's good. Cause you know, people, when money's involved, they act kind of funny sometimes and nothing personal. It's just like, I'm not a robot. I got to take a break, but I make sure to turn around people's work in a very timely manner. Um, 
And then, you know, when I'm done snowboarding or fishing or dirt biking, then I get back to work and I'm doing stuff till 11, 12, one o'clock. So it's, I just find time for what I want to do. It's like, he is snowboarding all season. No, I love it. But that just, speaks, I, I've talked, I've talked a little bit about wanting to be a 5 a.m. girl so bad. <laughs> and I think it just motivated me a little more because you said you wake up five to 6 a.m. You get your work done. And, and that, that amount of time in the morning, I'm sure it's like, you know, the emails and the calls aren't coming in crazy. You have some downtime to really just focus on what you need to do. And exactly. then you have like the rest of your day. Yeah, totally. Well, now my schedules, I'm still up at that time. It's a little different because now I schedule most of my emails for tomorrow. I'll schedule them before I go to bed for any follow-ups. That mm -hmm. way, when I wake up and I'm like locked in with the baby, I don't feel like I need to get to this. I don't feel rushed to get away from the baby. And when she takes her first nap two, three hours after she wakes up, then I can go ahead and begin whatever I can go through until my wife gets home a little later in the day, I'm pretty much locked into daddy mode. I'll get what I can done if she's asleep, but if she is up and she requires attention, then I'm with her. And then when wifey gets home at one or two o'clock, then I'm locked in, especially because in our industry, most people aren't getting going till 10, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock sometimes. So right. I found that it was almost counterintuitive for me to be up that early because I would be doing stuff all the time throughout the day instead of like compacting it and really being efficient with my time so preparation or, is key is what you're what saying i said so preparation is key is what you're saying oh yeah for sure and just having a routine makes all the difference yeah and having a baby that likes to dj with you yeah that's always fun and <laughs> and snow at that you know he literally DJed a full set with like wearing her and she looked so happy. Coolest thing I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it was it was a good time. I uh everywhere, look, I got her, I got little things to remind me of her all the time. I got this. Oh. Oh, wait, look, I'm gonna rip something off the wall for you guys right now. <laughs> just because just because we're talking about it. Look, look, look. My literally. She's oh, just like up to five. It doesn't matter. Goodness. That is so cute. We so love I got a, this. I got a ton of pictures of Nip in here. And then the one of me and my daughter. And this is honestly the, the one that means the most to me. You know, this is, I've always dreamed of having a daughter and being able to like not slow down with my career and like just be able to do what I want and have a wife that supports me. Like it's just a, you know, a good feeling. I know a lot of people that have to, give up on their dreams or goals aspirations because they have a kid but I've really been trying to show people that like you could still do what you love you could you don't have to like be in the house all the time you could take your kid out with you we just took her hiking the other day um she's been on the lake with us you know like we try to include her in everything we do we feel bad if she's not with us so she's she's gonna see the world you know I'm not gonna let her be impressed by any of these goofballs that are <laughs> you know, taking her on these weak little trips and stuff like she's really going to experience life with us so so if a tour comes up is the family going unfortunately not just because realistically tour is not a, like she has a very good sleep program which as you know that doesn't they don't go hand in hand touring and sleep no. <laughs> trip doesn't it's just it's not the ideal place for a little baby that's developing yeah. Um, so 
I think they'd be better off at home. I'll just go go do what I got to do and shoot back as I can. Yeah, do the 24-hour flight backs to check in. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I think it's amazing. And like I said, I'm I'm always been impressed with your work your work ethic and the ability for you to like you take such good care of yourself as well. You know, you have your sauna, you do all these things for you that I don't feel like a lot of people with your type of job and schedule focus on and, and care about the self-care and, and making sure that you're always 100% so that you can be 100% for work, for your family, for your baby. I think it's- 100%. Exactly. That's, that's why I go to the mountains once a week. You know, I got the sauna. My wife's a personal trainer. So she's big on like fitness and just being aware of what we're putting in our bodies and, um, you know, self-care. She got me onto um, cryo as well as compression therapy. So I, I have the Normatex and I do those you know, once a week, twice a week, I could do it every day, but sometimes it's just like when I'm done with my day and I'm showered, I just want to go to sleep. It's time to <laughs> shut off. Cause if it's 12, one o'clock, I know I'm going to be up in four or five hours. So I can't get to it as much as I would like to, but I know I'm doing it a little bit better versus not doing anything at all. That's yeah. so great. And even having all of that in your routine is so amazing, especially with the late night hours where things can sometimes get a little grueling. You might be out till, you know, two, three, four in the morning, but you have, you know, that foundation to come back to, you know, you're watching what you're eating. You're also, you know, being active with your wife and stuff. So I think that's a really, really great balance. And I don't drink as much as I used to. When I was in my twenties, I could drink and pop up and do it two, three days back to back. Like I have a couple of drinks and it messes up my sleep. Like I, and then when my sleep's off, my body just feels like all like cringy and nasty. And I just yeah. don't like it. So I don't, I don't even drink anymore. I think that's been a big part of me being able to like maintain my routine and then just not get burnt out. Cause I feel like a lot of people, if you throw alcohol in the mix of that, like you're not going to be able to contain that. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way your health diminishes instantly when you're drinking every day. Like it's just, it's impossible. That's why I, I never understood it. But when you're in the lifestyle and you're, you're like you said, on tour and doing all that stuff, it's just part of it and you deal with it later. You know, you're like, yeah. I'll, I'll eat healthy in 30 days. Yeah. Then you come home and like you gain 15, 20 pounds. You got <laughs> bags under your eyes and you're sleeping for like three or four days sleep straight. And before you know it, you're like in a semi depression. You're like, I got to figure this shit out. <laughs> so yeah. we don't for like tour life then. What what did Meek Mill he said in Dreams and Nightmares? No, that tour life ain't good. <laughs> Not it's it's cool. Like yeah, you're out there doing what you love, but it gets grueling, and sometimes you have to like really remember this is what I wanted to do. It's just you, you don't think of you think of the good. You don't think of the good and the bad. You forget that it comes with being on the road, not sleeping at home, not eating great. All those things we discussed, and uh, you just it really becomes a reality once you're looking at both sides of it in that moment. Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't do it. I just know that. I'm like, I need to like have my bed. I need to like, I am not cut out for tour life. And that's why I wasn't blessed with musical talent. Listen, I, <laughs> I love being on the road, but there's nothing more I love than coming back home. Yeah, it's always kind of been your sanctuary. Mm -hmm. And that's a blessing. To have really that. Yeah, I mean, I've, uh, I used to not really understand and I used to come back home and hit the ground running. And I didn't understand like the whole 
like restore process kind of rejuvenate so after a while like nip was telling us he was the one who put me on to a lot of self-care stuff saunas he was like oh you need to like once a month just go get a facial just go you know let someone just relax you and just get your skin right and do this that and the other and he was really big on self-care so um once i really tapped into it i noticed how much more productive effective and just like happier i was my mental health was better when i was giving myself a break and a separation from what I was doing. I would always, once I came home, whether it was at seven o'clock, eight o'clock on a turnaround on a Sunday or uh, in the morning or, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night, I wasn't doing anything for the rest of that day. And I took the whole next day to do whatever I wanted to do that wasn't work-related. Even if it was something as simple as doing laundry and resetting the house, it was, that was just enough to keep, keep my mental in a good space to when I came back that following day, I was ready to attack it at 120. I need to do I need to do that. I need to focus more on those off days. The off days I sleep. There's nothing wrong with that though. You need to <laughs> Yeah. You need and to recharge. Yeah. You have I to. I guess. I'm just not used to sleeping. And I to be fair, <laughs> it's not like I don't sleep. You're not joking at all. This is real life. <laughs> I wake up like at five or six, and on most days, aside from today. My wife would come home at 12, one o'clock and we're taking a family nap. <laughs> okay. The baby, her and myself, we're knocked out for two or three hours so that by five o'clock, six o'clock, I can power through another, you know, six, seven, eight hours. Cause otherwise I'd be crashing at three or four o'clock. Yeah, that's true. Especially when you're I don't drink coffee or anything like that. So like, you know, and I smoke a lot of weed. So that definitely isn't helping the cause. <laughs> healthy though yeah I mean I th think it's better than the latter I think so too yeah. I support it I support it okay question for you yes are you ready to pull a quickie with us yeah was it I a quick, quick yes, fire, quick fire? <laughs> yeah uh what <laughs> quick fire questions yeah, yeah exactly exactly so we're gonna ask some questions no need to explain your answer just kind of whatever's first first to mind Perfect. And then we'll just run through them. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> Netflix and chill or date night out? Date night out. Intimate lounge with live music or a music festival? Intimate lounge with live music. Favorite artist? Nip, Hustle the Great. One person you look up to? My dad. Last trip you took? Where it went last, uh, I think Big Bear. Does that count? Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll take it. All right. Last book you read? Um, me and my wife are reading a book, "Raising Good Humans: How to Raise Good Humans." I love that. Uh, favorite venue to spin at? House of Blues, Sunset. That's iconic. <laughs> Uh, feed empowerment daily is a huge part of fed work. Mm -hmm. What empowerment mean to you? Oh man, empowerment. I would, it's going to sound like very rudimentary, but I would just say like motivation, mm -hmm. like giving someone like the, that little kickstart that they need to, to do what they have to do, whatever that is. Yeah, that's great. I love that. What are you grateful for? My family. 
for anyone looking to follow in your footsteps, what would you tell them? Don't quit. Like despite how much you might not fit the mold of something, like if you really have it in your heart, I think you could achieve whatever you want just based on the world we live in with technology and what's available to us at our fingertips really from our house. I don't think there's anything that anyone can't do with all the knowledge and resources we have. That's a good one. Okay, we haven't touched on this, but I know you, I've talked with you about it in the past. So to fed work or not to fed work? Doing the research, the secret research on people or companies. Oh, that fed I work? mean, it's, it's important. I, it, you should, I always feel like you should do your due diligence, especially when there is information out there, you'd kind of be like an idiot just to assume that everything's great. That's Perfect. fair. That's very, <laughs> that's fair. You just pulled a clicky with us. Nice. At first though, I did think you were going to say don't about following in your footsteps. Just don't is what I thought you were going to say. And I was like, why? No, no, for sure. Always. No, that was awesome. That was yeah. so great. Yeah. Well, where can the people find you? The ones that are listening, watching, where can they find you on social media? All socials are at djvip510. All right. And then for DJ Pax, is there anywhere they could contact you for that if they're listening and want to get one? Yeah, I mean, they can hit my socials directly. They can do the email, djvip510 at gmail.com, but socials are fine. I manage all my socials, I'm very, very like hands-on with all that. It's something I'm very guarded with. Um, so yeah, you're going to be dealing with me directly at all times. Amazing. And congratulations again on everything. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Well, yes. thanks for being on. We appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for, for sure. hanging out with us and everyone tuning in. Thanks for tuning in again. And we'll see you guys next week. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to this episode of FedWork. We hope that you enjoyed it. Please make sure to like, comment, and subscribe on all platforms. For any inquiries or sponsorship requests, please visit wearefedwork.com.